Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. It's Monday. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hello, friend. What's your name? What do people call you? Mm-hmm. What is your name and what do people call you? Uh, maybe people call you lots of names. People actually call me lots of names. That's okay. I'm good with that. Jesus is called by 250 different names in the New Testament. Did you know that? I mean, you might have a half a dozen or so names. Um, and as you become a grandparent... People call you things you never thought you'd be called, and you have to warm up to some of them. So there you go. I am Grandma Carmen now. Um, Auntie Carmen to some. Uh, Miss Carmen to others. Carmen. Oh, I could go down my whole list of names. Comma, 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 chameleon. Yes, was a name for a while. Uh, Charmin Carmen. You know, that would be one of the meaner, meaner names um, back in the day. All kinds of names, you know, and then the jokes, you know, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? You know me, I like to ask where in the word, which is a play on that whole nonsense. Um, yeah, Carmen Miranda, the people will ask, you know, where's your fruit hat? There you go. All kinds of things, which leads me into a conversation about the fruit of the spirit. So, you know, I don't mind. What are your names? What do people call you? Jesus is called by 250 different names in the New Testament. Can you think of some of them? One of Jesus's names is Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Um, in fact, the the first time that Jesus is referred to as the Peace of God or the Prince of Peace uh, is when he's an infant. He's he's in the manger. He's it's it's day one of his on earth life. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes, um, and the angelic host of heaven breaks forth, unable to contain themselves, and reveals who he is, and the angels announce to these shepherds who are watching over their flocks by night near the little town of Bethlehem, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. On earth peace is about Jesus. On earth peace. You and I have long thought that was about like the kind of peace that we like to live in, you know? Um, but really, it's a declaration of the one who has come. On earth, peace. Jesus was born into a world that was certainly not at peace. Born into a time when uh, the people of God, the Jews, deeply desired peace. The word shalom um, is this comprehensive peace term. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, um, and it's about a very, very deep kind of peace. Our modern idea of peace is kind of like, we're in agreement with each other. We're at least not actively hostile toward each other. Um, when we think about being peacemakers, we're just we're actually just thinking, you know, could we just keep them from being at war with each other? Um, but the Hebrew word shalom is a much, much deeper peace than that. Shalom is a peace which 
transcends our ability as humans to manufacture. It's not a piece we can make. It is a piece we can enjoy and live in. It is the condition of everything being set right. Shalom. Do you like some shalom today? It's about the total well-being of the person and the community, a world at peace. It's one of the deepest longings of the human heart. Maybe you are thinking right now, oh, I would really like some shalom. Well, the angels declared at his birth that Jesus is the one who brings it. Jesus fulfills the deepest longings of our heart for peace. Um, Be honest with me. Um, If you know the peace of Christ, which transcends all understanding, then you are living at peace with God. And you do have this surpassing peace, even when everything around you is raging. It's really easy to, de- to become discouraged when we see very little peace in the world, but we never become discouraged when peace lives within us. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. When people's lives please the Lord, when people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. But what does that mean? And what does that mean on this side of the cross? I mean, the the book of Proverbs written long before um, the one who is the very peace of God descends from heaven to the earth and takes on human flesh to walk among us as the prince of peace and dies to make a way for us to have peace with God and with ourselves and with one another. So what does this mean when people's lives please the Lord? Even their enemies are at peace with them. What does that mean on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, on this side of the ascension of Jesus, 2,000 years on in the history of the church? What does it mean for our lives to please the Lord? Who are our enemies? And what does it look like to live at peace even with them? That is a profound consideration for today. When... um. When Jill Jackson Miller and Cy Miller wrote, Let There Be Peace on Earth and Let It Begin With Me in 1955, I'm pretty sure they never could have imagined it would be used to advertise the commercialized notion that if we just all had a Coca-Cola in our hands, everything would be right in the world. But the truth is, if everyone just had Jesus, everything would literally be right in the world. Not just reconciliation with God, which is awesome, But the byproduct of that would be peace with ourselves and peace with one another. You want that kind of peace? You need Jesus. We're going to talk more about him in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Ah, thanks to those of you on the text line affirming me this morning, calling me all kinds of fancy names like friend. Thank you, friend. You can text me, 877-933-2484. We're talking about Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding, the one who brings peace, offers peace, is peace. The truth is, when peace comes to a human heart, when a person is ruled by the Prince of Peace, they become a peacemaker. They start sowing peace in the world around them. Um, And those of us who are possessed of peace and sow peace, guess what? Eventually, it grows in the culture of which we are a part. So if you're a person who looks around and you don't like what you see in the culture around you, start sowing peace. Be a person of peace. Be a peacemaker. 
um, quick survey here of what, uh, on this side of the cross, the Bible has to say about peace, who it is and how we get it. Um, Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 1. This is about peace with God. We're going to talk about peace with God. We've already talked about the peace of God. That's Jesus, the Prince of Peace. We're going to talk about peace with God here from Romans chapter 5. And um, and then we're going to talk about the peace from God. Because the peace of God and the peace from God, same guy. Yeah, Jesus. We're going to get to that. All right. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Peace with God. I mean, whatever other kind of peace you think you might want, peace with God is the place it starts. Peace with God was brought to us when Jesus Christ came down from heaven and went to the cross as the God-man, hanging there between heaven and earth, paying the price for our sin. The sin which separated us from God, created enmity between us and God, literally war with God. We became his enemies. Jesus solves that riddle, takes away the penalty of sin and its power over us. And when we put our trust in him, we are forgiven. Our sin is erased. We have a reconciled relationship with God. We have peace and we can say, therefore, being justified by faith, I have peace with God. You got to start there. You got to start at the cross. Have you been to the cross? Have you put your knee to the ground and your hands outstretched and just said, God, I want to have peace with you. Thank you for giving it to me in Jesus. I recognize who he is. I receive what you're offering in him. Peace, peace. Have you made peace with God? God has sought to make peace with you, and his name is Jesus. Those who have peace with God also receive and are possessed by peace from God. That's what Jesus promises us in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Paul describes it in Philippians chapter 4, where he says to those who have the peace of Christ, who have peace with God through Christ, be anxious for nothing. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now watch this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Peace stands like a guard at the door of your heart and your mind. Are you possessed of that peace today? Do you trust the Holy Spirit to be standing guard, watch guard over your heart and over your mind? Have you become a person of peace? A life marked by the peace of Christ? Are you sowing peace in the world around you through your prayers, through the speaking of the truth as a shining light, comforting others with the comfort with which you have been comforted? Peace, peace, peace. I'm reminded that um, the peace of God flows through some particular conduits. The Son of God, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Spirit of God, sent to personally indwell every person who receives Christ as Lord, the Word of God in the Bible, and the gift of prayer. I want you to have all of those conduits wide open today, that the peace of God might flow to you and through you and from you 
Get into the Word of God today and allow the Word of God to get into you. Invite the Holy Spirit to fall afresh on you today and pray. Pray about the things of today like there's no tomorrow. We live in a world that is raging in every direction, but in the midst of all of that, we can be people of perfect peace. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Do you remember um, Bonnie Raitt's 1995 hit song, Let's Give Them Something to Talk About? Um, I, I would like for someone to, like, repurpose it and rewrite it with God in mind. Like, what would it look like for Christians to live in a way that we gave the world something to talk about? And the thing we gave them to talk about was God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Bible. Like, let's give them something to talk about. There's a lot of God talk in the world today. If you survey the headlines, um, you can see or hear it just beneath the surface. Sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's straight up, like you just uh, Google, Google God and... Um, and then hit the little news feed thing over there and see what pops up. Today, you'll get a headline. Uh, somebody who calls themselves uh, Charlem, Charlem, it might be Charlemagne, but it looks like Charlemagne Lagarde, uh, hosting a back-to-school drive. Yeah. Are you hosting a back-to-school drive? Charlemagne Lagarde is hosting one. Uh, see, Charlemagne, who refers to themselves as God, is hosting a school drive, back to school drive. Are you? I mean, that would give people something to talk about. Let's give them something to talk about today. There are headlines that straight up address the reality of the God who really is, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, the God who came in human flesh, Jesus the Christ. There is, or there are headlines that straight up address the reality of who God is. And so if you were just to go and Google NewYorkTimes.com, just as one example. I can't help you with the paywall, but I'm just giving you an example here. And you put the, in the, the word God next to that. You get, you get these headlines, recent headlines. Does God control history? Dear God, even if you don't exist. Like that's a, that's a well, that does goes with this next one. Um, how to pray to a God you don't believe in. Th- these are actual headlines in the New York Times. Why we need to start talking about God. The God I know is not a culture warrior. Um, on and on and on. Like, there's literally God in the headlines of the day. Now, type the word Christian in the, that same search engine, and you will see there's actually, again, I, I, I read newspapers that you may or may not read, but I do it as a, as a labor of love and a service to you. Um, 
So one of the topics pages that I have marked in the New York Times, they have topic pages. That will not surprise you. One of their topic pages is actually for Christians and Christianity. And if you look hard, you will find stories like this one. It's building destroyed. A Lahaina church finds sanctuary in a cafe. Members of Grace Baptist Church, many of them now homeless, gathered on Sunday and described daring escapes from the fire. That subhead could have said, um, joined together in the worship of the living God, opening the word of God and singing together the praises of his, of his name. That's what it could have said. That's not what it said, but it's what it could have said. This is sort of like if Carmen rewrote the headlines. I fixed your headline for you, New York Times. Here's the story. And I offer this to you um, so that you'll know what's happening and also that you could be praying for these brothers and sisters in Christ and you might consider how your church might partner with a church in Lahaina. Um, because they've not they've they've lost their buildings. Yes, they have lost their buildings. They have not lost their hope. They have not lost their faith. And God has now created uh, or could use what what has happened as an incredible opportunity. Um, the death toll is now, by some reports this morning, ninety three. By other reports, ninety six. Only two of those people have to this point been identified, and there are a lot of people still unaccounted for. This is absolutely, without question, um, the, the worst, the most historic fire disaster um, in American history in terms of um, death and uh, the entire town is, is basically gone. So the Grace Baptist Church, which used to sit just blocks from the Pacific Ocean, is gone as well. Um, Azra Brown is the pastor, um, and, uh, and he said... Uh, you know, one of the one of the things he used to talk about all the time. Apparently, they had this grove of mango trees right outside um, on their church property. And he said, "When we talk about church, uh, the building is not the church. The building is just where the church meets." And they used to actually talk about the fact that um, if we went outside and we and we gathered beneath uh, Lahaina's mango trees, the church would be there under the mango trees. Like it's not a building; it's a people. So this weekend, um, no longer inside uh, the building where. They worshipped as a community of faith for some 50 years. That building is gone, and they can't even get back to their town. It's, uh, it's barricaded off. Um, but they met 23 miles away in a coffee shop um, in Wailuka. I'm probably pronouncing, I'm probably butchering the names of, of some of these towns, but it's up in the mountains. Um, and they sang Amazing Grace, and they read from the book of Psalms, and they listened to one another tell stories of escape. They gave glory to God. They accounted for small miracles. Um, They prayed for their neighbors, on and on and on and on and on. Um, They they tell stories of of extraordinary grace. And uh, and one of the people said, "It's it's it's God's grace that we're even here." Um, Every head nodding in agreement. Uh, The report here says the service on Sunday was a mix of the ordinary and the exceptional. Members flipping to come thou font of every blessing in their hymnals, receiving offerings, bowing their heads in prayer, a scripture lesson offered, tears shed. But piled around the pastor were donations, diapers, granola bars, toiletries, bottled water, that the people who came to worship hadn't brought but were encouraged to take from the service for they had fled with nothing. 
Mr. Uh, Timmons is a, a person who's worked for the church for 30 years and lived in the parsonage, which also burned to the ground. Um, he said it's not yet clear whether any members of our congregation were among the 96 people known so far to have died in the fire. Um, Grace Baptist is one of several houses of worship that was lost in the flames. So we're praying today, not only for Grace Baptist, but for Lahaina United Methodist, um, for the Lahaina Xingyang Mission, for the Holy Innocence Episcopal Church, and others as well. And we're thankful for the people who own this coffee shop 23 miles away that has offered up space for this congregation to gather. They say for now we will continue meeting inside uh, the coffee shop some 23 miles from the charred remnants of our former sanctuary. And for now we are cut off. But as soon as God makes a way, we'll go back and we'll be the church in our community under the mango trees by the ocean experiencing and extending the grace of God. My friend, there's a fire moving towards you. You might not smell it yet. You might not even see the smoke on the horizon. You might not yet feel the heat, but it is headed your way. Uh, the, The wrath of God is coming. Physical fires remind us of that. And you don't have time to go back and grab anything. And you need to know in advance the name of the one to whom you're going to flee and where you're going to gather and what you're going to do and how you're going to praise and worship God and his grace. You know, you need to know in advance what you're going to sing on the next Sunday morning. The scriptures to which you're going to turn. And you don't have to wait. Like these people, you can declare, I feel blessed to be alive today. And I will declare the glory of God for as long as I have breath. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, lots of uh, Christians walking through others today um, into and through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, I've got a friend who's experienced a loss in his life, and I'm seeking to console and, um, and love him well in the midst of it. My guess is you know someone who is walking into or through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, This is one of those days that knowing a passage of scripture like Psalm 23, like actually knowing it, not, not having to, um, not having to look it up even on your phone, although, you know, do it if necessary, but speak this kind of peace into the lives of other people today and walk with them. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though, even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Somebody in your life needs to hear that today. Somebody in your life needs to know the Good Shepherd. 
could you be the person who introduces them to him? That's, that is what making disciples looks like in the world today. You and I have a proximity to people who are grieving, who are lost, who are afraid, who are suffering, who are ashamed and guilt-ridden and trapped in addiction. And we, we are proximate to them. We, we can reach out a hand in their direction while we are held fast by the other hand to Jesus Christ. If you are yoked to him, if he is your shepherd, if he is your Lord and your Savior, as you hold fast to him, reach with that free hand out to somebody who is slipping today beneath the waters of the culture, the whelming tide. Don't let go of Jesus by any, by any stretch, but reach out with your other hand to somebody who yet needs to know him. Our friend Daniel Bennett is going to join us next. We're going to talk about some things on his summer reading list and a recent sermon that, um, that he heard that has touched him. Um, what have you heard recently that's touched you? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, our friend Daniel Bennett is back from John Brown University. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Okay, so um, it's almost back to school time. It is back to school time for some. Kindergarten starts mm. today where I live, but elementary school and high school kids have been uh, in school now for the better part of a week. I know in some places it's not until after Labor Day. Colleges seem to have, I don't know, it's like, I don't know. Do you guys like throw a dart at a board and say, ooh, that looks like a good day to start school? Yeah, it's about where you're recruiting your your students. Uh, are you on a semester or a trimester or a quarter system? Uh, I've taught in places where we don't start until late September. Uh, we start next Monday here at John Brown. Oh, all right. It's getting close. It's getting close. Summer's it almost is. over. What are you teaching this fall? I have a I have a pretty heavy teaching load uh, this fall semester. So. Within the political science major, I'm teaching a constitutional law class on the uh, separation of powers at the national and state governments. I'm teaching a class on race and politics in the United States. I'm teaching a research course for upper division political science students. And then uh, once again, I'm also teaching a first year seminar class for incoming freshmen kind of an introduction to Christian higher education, introduction to JBU, uh, and these are going to be in our honors program. So it's a pretty heavy load, but all classes that I enjoy. Okay, and then um, uh, I believe you are teaching a special course um, at redeemingbabble.org. So this is something that anybody listening um, who is interested might go there to check out. Again, redeemingbabble.org. What um, what are you teaching there? So we're piloting a program through Redeeming Babel uh, that takes students over the course of, of the entire year through uh, their three uh, subject areas. So you, your, your listeners can learn more on, on the website, Redeeming Babel, uh, but they have courses focused on anxiety, helping Christians, and this is directed specifically towards Christians, uh, hopefully, obviously, Redeeming Babel, um, but focused on anxiety. This is obviously a big thing, not just for college students, uh, you know, my clientele, but for for all of us. 
Uh, they have a, a course focused on uh, redeeming your organization, your that your place of work, uh, the place where you find community. And then the newest course, which we'll be doing next semester, is on politics, uh, featuring uh, Curtis Chang, uh, David French, and Russell Moore on approaching wow. politics. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I'm excited for that. Uh, so, yes, I am teaching that as well. But I, I think I don't even think of that as teaching. I just I think that's a perk. <laughs> <laughs> Perks with Daniel Bennett. Um, all right. right. So you um, like me, you had a summer reading list. You uh, commend that to us on your own blog. So you guys can get this reading list um, at Daniel Bennett's Substack, which is called Uneasy Citizenship. Um, or you can text me and I'll send you the link directly. You can text me at 877-933-2484. All right, what um, what has been on your recommended summer reading list, which now for some people might be a semester reading list? <laughs> exactly, yeah. The, so the reason I do this at the end of the summer is, uh, well, I try to get through as many articles and, and uh, essays that I can before the grind of the semester starts. Otherwise, they're just going to stay open in my tabs on my uh, browser, which I'm sure your listeners can relate to. Uh, but the, the the articles and essays that really jump out uh, this year or this summer to me was a recent essay in The Atlantic uh, by Jake Metter uh, uh, on basically why people have stopped going to church in the United States. Uh, and this is a question I'm, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about what are the reasons we've seen a decline in religious attendance. And I like Jake's piece because he's not blaming it on dissatisfaction with organized religion or internal issues within the church or Christianity. It was almost like people just, and this is a sociological explanation, people don't find meaning in churches mm -hmm. as much as they used to. Um, so he has some good overview of, of what are some explanations for why we, we've stopped attending churches and, and importantly, what churches and pastors and, and leaders can do about it. Um, so I like that essay in The Atlantic. Um, Ryan Burge has been a bit on a bit of a roll lately. He's a political scientist at Eastern Illinois, and he writes a lot about uh, secularization, religion, and American culture. And he has some really interesting recent articles on uh, what the future of Christianity in the United States looks like. Um, it's not disappearing. It's just going to look different. And uh, then lastly, one book that I'll recommend. Um, I'm not the first to recommend this, but um, the, the book Station Eleven it's a it's a fiction book written several years ago about a fictional pandemic uh, that sweeps through the the world much more devastating than our recent pandemic um, but it paints instead of painting like the immediate aftermath where everyone is you know scared and getting into graphic detail about what happened it paints 20 years later what does the world mm. look like in the aftermath yeah what does the world look like in the aftermath with the people who survive and how do they continue to find meaning in a world that's been completely and alter, or un, you know, un, uh, un, uh, unequivocally changed. So, um, I, I would I would recommend all these things, and I have a longer list on my on my website. Yeah, no, that's so good. I um, I I read a lot of um, of what Ryan Burge writes, um, yeah. and and some of the others who you've mentioned. I've read the Metter piece as well. Both of those guys um, seem to be in the loop on. Mm -hmm. Uh, on this conversation about the great de-churching and we're mm. gonna we're gonna have a conversation with uh jim davis and michael graham here um in the coming weeks the great de-churching uh, on this this whole nationwide study about who who's leaving and why they're leaving and how um 
I'm not sure I like the last part, which is like how to get them back because I'm right. I'm not I'm not sure we want to invite them back to the existing model. Like, right? How do we how do we move forward with them into whatever the Christian experience looks like? What does the church look like um, moving forward? And and how is it constituted among believers who many of whom, 40 million of whom, have walked away from organized church in the last 25 years. That's that's a lot of people who are dissatisfied with the current way it's happening. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about when we um, when we start plowing that ground. Um, and that's what talk- I liked about Metter's piece, too, just really quick. And that's why I liked it, the, the Jake Metter article. He he gives some not necessarily recommendations, but saying, well, what does a church need to look like? Uh, to not just attract people back as far as a marketing strategy, but what does a new church in this cultural reality look like? And I think that's a really interesting question. And can an old church become new again? Like this is mm. this is going to get into for a lot of churches. This is going to get into a conversation, and everybody can think about their own experience of the of the congregation of which they are a part. Whatever it is, I want you to think about it for just a moment and and ask yourself. I mean, are we willing to become a new wineskin? For new wine, because we are currently an old wineskin, and new wine can't can't expand in a new in an old wineskin, and so mm. there is this question of you know we we think this is what church looks like, feels like, acts like, meets like, um, sounds like, feels like, whatever we and and so we're comfortable in it, like we're comfortable in this skin, but. It's it's whether or not it's the shape of Jesus. I mean, when you say what kind of church are people going to be attracted to, does it look like Jesus? Does it mm. smell like Jesus? Does it sound like Jesus? Does it feel like is it is it Jesus? Is it the body of Christ with skin on? Is it the incarnation of the Spirit of Christ living in the world right now, operating and moving in a particular community? And if it's not, no wonder people are running away from it because it's not Jesus. Carmen's sermon for the morning. Loved it. Yeah, no, I think that's right. It's a big challenge, uh, not just for pastors, but for all of us who contribute to these communities uh, intentionally. Oh, I was at a worship service yesterday, not not at what I would consider my home congregation. Um, But we've got uh, a kid headed off to college this coming weekend. We're going to move her in on Saturday. And we thought, hey, let's drive out there. Let's go to a church that we know has a very positive reputation in that community and let's worship there. So she would be, Mm. so she could go for one time with us and feel like she knew where she was going and, you know, what it was like and, and worship with the people who she's been worshiping with for years. Right. And so we did that yesterday. Okay. I got to tell you, it was like a completely different experience, right. Than we have in (laughs) You know, and one of the things the pastor said was, hey, this is not actually church as usual here for those of you visiting for the first time. Um, and they they baptized hundreds of people yesterday. They've had wow. 2000, 2000 people, more than 500 families come into their fellowship in in the last handful of years. It's crazy. And I say to myself, hmm, OK, something here is is Jesus-y, or people wouldn't be attracted to it. They're not just attracted because yeah. it's this, you know, kind of music and this kind of environment, because that exists lots of places. So something, the spirit is moving, and you're just like, wow. Now, was it was it all the things that I might be really comfortable with? No. No, it wasn't. I was a little uncomfortable. Um, 
But there's some skin on that community of believers that is reaching mm. people in their community and beyond that I can't I can't argue with. I can't argue with people coming to the foot of the cross and to the point of belief and wanting to be baptized. Like, that's incredible. It's incredible. All right. There you go. The the spirit is on the move. We're going to continue our conversation with Daniel Bennett here in just a moment. We're going to talk about a recent sermon he heard by his pastor um, and shared um, shared online. And we're going to um, we're going to circle back around to uh, Ezekiel chapters two and three. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Have you ever wondered where God is when you feel like you need him most? Do you recognize that he's closer than your next breath? Are you confident in that? Do you trust in that? Susie Larson has a brand new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? And we're giving away 100 copies of it this month. So we want you to win yours at myfaithradio.com. I want to encourage you right now that there is nothing like living in the fullness of the presence of God moment by moment. No matter what is going on, you can live as a person who is content in the presence of God. God is literally with you always, closer than your next breath. And we want you to experience that. So grab a copy of Closer Than Your Next Breath. You can sign up to win one at MyFaithRadio.com. Dr. Daniel Bennett is here with us from John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship blog. He's also, like you and me, a guy who goes to church. I know we're not supposed to say it that way, but we do it on Sundays. We go to church. And um, Daniel, I'd love for you to share with us what you shared online about a recent sermon Mm. that you heard that was uh, particularly impactful. Yeah, so uh, I attend Redeemer Presbyterian Church here in Siloam Springs, Arkansas. We're a member of the P- uh, Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA. And uh, it, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, uh, a guest uh, pastor. He's not our typical pastor. Our typical pastor getting, was getting a couple of much-needed weeks uh, off with his family. Um, but, uh, the speaker was especially meaningful for me. He is my colleague at John Brown university and also an ordained, uh, teaching elder in the PCA, Jay Bruce. So, uh, he was actually the one who guided our family to redeemer when we moved here almost seven years ago. Since then, he's joined another congregation in the area where he's taken on a more pastor role there, but he was back in our pulpit, uh, to, to share the word. And, um, he shared with us from Ezekiel. Um, now, you know, I had been certainly familiar with the passage in chapter three uh, on essentially, you know, eating the scroll and it tasted like sweet honey uh, in the mouth of the uh, uh, of, of the man. Um, but uh, the reason I like this this sermon is not only did, did Jay contextualize it a bit, like leading up to what happened before God instructs Ezekiel to eat the scroll, but also kind of preparing him to embark on this journey of preaching truth uh in, in a confident and and strong way and so uh jay did a great job illustrating chapter two uh where ezekiel is called importantly early in the chapter he's called to uh to stand but then also jay pointed out that the spirit essentially raises ezekiel in that moment to stand on mm-hmm. his feet um essentially we're equipped we're not just asked to do things. We're given tools to do them well. Um, so when, and that was just a strong reminder for me going into the semester 
in a, in a time of busyness, in a time of inevitably exhaustion, uh, the work that we're called to do, we're not doing alone, right? God does not call us to our particular times and places and then says, okay, you're on your own, do your thing, right? He, he literally equips and empowers his people and we are the vessels, right? We are just the tools of his craftsmanship. Um, and so I think that was a really helpful reminder for us. And when we speak to a culture like, like Ezekiel was, <laughs> that, that was certainly hostile to his message, right? This was not a, this was not necessarily just an apathetic culture that it had just kind of grown tired of, of God's word. They were antagonistic, right? With these different gods and different cultures. Um, and so there's some parallels to our current situation, obviously it's not identical, um, but he's empowered, right? He's not just being asked to do these things. And God says, good luck, you know, be brave. Uh, we're given tools to do these things and to speak in a certain way. And God is with us in those moments. So it's a healthy and helpful reminder as we approach a new academic year. So for those of you uh, listening right now, I want to just give you some of the standout verses that create mm. the outline of Ezekiel chapters two and three. Um, and it absolutely follows right along with what you just heard Daniel share. Um, the spirit enters Ezekiel, and then the spirit sets him on his feet. That's Ezekiel two, one and two. God speaks to Ezekiel, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, <laughs> to a rebellious nation. And mm-hmm. then God says, whether they hear you or refuse to hear you, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Um, God then likens uh, Israel to thorns and even to scorpions, but encourages Ezekiel to do what he's sending him to do. Don't be afraid of them. They're a rebellious house. I know it. Um, And then um, comes the instruction to eat the scroll. And this is the part that we're probably all most familiar with. Um, uh, Ezekiel sees this hand stretched out to him, and in it there's this scroll and written on it the lamentations and the, the, the word of God. And Ezekiel eats the scroll and he says, in my mouth, it was sweet like honey. It filled him up. And God then points out that Ezekiel is being sent to his own people, not a people of unfamiliar speech whose words you cannot understand. Right. So this is actually not not a cross-cultural experience, even though he's going right. into the midst of an unbelieving people. It's people he's already familiar with. And that's when God declares the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. Um, and God makes Ezekiel's forehead hard as flint so he can face the rebellious people head on. And then he repeats the commission, receive all my words into your heart. Um, and that's when Ezekiel says, the spirit uh, lifted me up and took me away. The spirit lifted me up and took me away. Um, and, uh, and he goes forth. And um, yeah, it, it, it proceeds then to Ezekiel being appointed as a watchman over Israel. And I, I commend to you the reading of Ezekiel 2 yeah. and 3 in order that you might stand and you might experience the Spirit standing you and you might have a renewed sense of being sent and recognize that whether people listen to you or not, they will know that a prophet, mm. a, a person with God's word in their mouth has been among them, right? And mm. don't fear. The spirit within you is more powerful than the spirit in the world. Eat the word. Like that would be eat the word, eat the word, eat the word. Let it fill you up. That's my, I I just, I love this um, section of scripture and what it has to say to us today. It's so good, Daniel. Yeah, I think uh, with, uh, especially in our our context now, it's so easy to get, uh, my wife and I were talking about this the other day, 
it's so easy to get lost in the day-to-day, uh, our responsibilities, raising children, the jobs that we have, almost like you're checking boxes on a regular basis. It's so easy to forget uh, when we're put in these moments where we have these opportunities uh, to share the word, to proclaim truth. And I know this is something you're very passionate about. Uh, it's easy to forget that we're not doing this on our own, right? And it seems a little, I mean, for <laughs> unfortunately, it seems trite to say that, right? We're not alone in this. But it's true. <laughs> Scripture says this time and time again that uh, we are not embarking on these things alone, that there's an empowerment there. And it's so freeing that when, when God essentially tells Ezekiel, you know, you are going to speak and they may or may not hear you at all. But that's not what the most important thing is. The most important thing is that they will know. So for us in our, in our busyness, in our day-to-day, wherever we might be, uh, I think you nailed it, right? Be in the word, eat the word. Like if we're going to summarize this charge, right? Three simple words. It doesn't really make a lot of sense outside of Ezekiel. Eat the word. Uh, and, and that'll empower us and, and give us confidence and strength as we move about our days. It doesn't make uh, sense out of the context of Ezekiel until you're invited to sit at the Lord's Supper, and then it makes a whole mm. different kind of sense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> another sermon yes. for another day. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Hey, I want to um, let people know um, the Reimagining Faith in Public, mm. public Life uh, conference is happening. Issue a quick invitation to that. Yeah, really quick. So we're doing this on Thursday, September 14th. This will be... Uh, I believe the sixth year that we've done this. Actually, I think it might even be the seventh. Wow, it's been it's been a number of uh, number of years now. Uh, but this year, we're speaking, uh, we're pivoting to the role of history in making mm-hmm. sense of our current uh, situation. Uh, Mark David Hall from Regent University, Robert Tracy McKenzie from Wheaton College, award-winning scholars, authors, historians, will speak about the the role of religion in the American founding and whether and why that matters for us today, making sense of faith and public life issues. All right. We'll, uh, we'll be sure you have the details if you, uh, yeah. if you want them. I'm certainly interested. Um, all right, Daniel, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right. Uh, yes. Thank you to those of you who have texted and said, hey, I'm not sure this uh, fire in Hawaii is the deadliest in um, in U.S. history because you guys have texted me about a wildfire in Wisconsin in October of 1871. Um, the Peshtigo, Peshtigo fire that killed. Peshtigo. It's Peshtigo. Peshtigo. I, I lived thank in you. Wisconsin for a little while. Peshtigo. Yes. This Paul, you're so good. Yeah, Thank well, you. I yeah. probably have another name of another town here if I <laughs> scroll down that I also cannot read. Um, the other, um, the other fire that you guys have referred to is one in Minnesota. Actually, there's a list of towns, um, but it's definitely is it Cloquet? Mm-hmm. That's, Do I have yeah. that right? Okay. Yeah, the Cloquet uh, fire in Minnesota in October of 1918. And lots and lots of towns affected by that. So thank you for those reminders. Let's be continuing to lift up prayers for the people of Maui um, who are suffering so greatly today. Um, we got another hour up next here together. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.